Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. Why are we doing this today? Why aren't we doing this? Wait, we are. You want to get into the why? Yeah, why? That's, I want to know why. You know, I got to say the why of why you ask certain questions when I bring in the show is is really amazing. And what's even more impressive is my ability to just have happened to bring in an appropriate expert to answer these kind of questions. That's perfect because I have a lot of questions that I want to know why about. Yeah, but we're going to talk about business and the why, not the other stuff. So anyway, we have Grant Gooding with us today, the CEO and founder of Proof Positioning, also able to be found at proofpositioning.com. Hi, Grant. What up? Appreciate you coming in. (laughs) You guys are peas in a pod over there. (laughs) So we're going to talk about emotional data today. Nope. And I don't mean I don't mean data that's sad or happy. Well, maybe it is. What is emotional data, Grant? Emotional data is the exact opposite of big data. Okay. So big data does a pretty good job of measuring who, what, when, where, how. Emotional data is the why. Okay. So almost every organization, regardless of their industry or scope or what they do, got a pretty good handle on big data, right? Your what your website's measuring big data. You can figure out who comes to the website. You can measure what they're doing when they're there. You can measure how long they're there. But the one thing you really can't answer is why the hell are they there in the first place? So what our company does is we get after that. And all we do is we measure the why and we use a combination of neuroscience, psychology, and math to help organizations understand the why behind their customers. So over the last few years, the whole concept of why has, it's, I feel like it's been a lot more present. People have given a lot more consideration. It's always been something that many people have chased after. I, five years ago, I was asking about the why and things and some people are like, oh, wow, that's profound. It seems to be really common. And obviously, if you can figure out why, why people make decisions, why they buy, why they come, why they go, why they're happy, why they're sad, what makes them buy things faster that's pretty valuable, right? Well, I, cert- I certainly hope so because that's what we I predicated the whole success. <laughs> <laughs> that's what your whole business is built around. So, um, well, and we have all these data people here today. Matt, your, your business, Stackify, does a lot of stuff with data. This is complete opposite of emotional data. Yeah, we deal with a lot of performance data and software. So right. it's more the, you know, I click this button, how long did it take? Why did it take that long? But we don't know why they clicked the button. Uh, it's consistent. We don't know why. Nobody knows. It's, t- it's tough to figure out. It's not that, you know, we're stupid people, but we measure what we can and we use our gut essentially. Uh, so your job as a leader, Matt, when you look at that data is to go, all right, so I know that this particular button took me twice as long or took people on average twice as long to click on. Maybe we it's located in the wrong place or it's the wrong color or uh, the whatever words we wrote on the button. I want to change those and experiment. Mm-hmm. But we still really don't know why. 
right? Yep. All, we're, all we're doing is we're, we're optimizing based on math, which is, which is great. It's, it's operational. But when you understand why, you can learn a lot more about not only how to solve the problems you're trying to solve. So in that instance, it would be uh, improving your CTR, right? Or getting them to do whatever they're clicking on a button for. But if you understand why they're there in the first place or why they're clicking on that versus doing something else, it helps you innovate other things a lot easier. So for instance, any uh, restaurant, right? No, no restaurant tour can tell you essentially why their people are coming in to eat there. There's any combination of things, right? Or why they order what they order on the menu. Why they order what they're ordering. So they may look, they may go back and look at their big data and they go, boy, you know, our steak salad did really, really, does really, really well on this day. Um, and so, hey, we need to make more steak salad. Well, what what they probably should have done if they would have understood the motivation behind that is because they need to get a small ribeye, right, during lunch. People wanted the steak. They didn't really want the salad. So, uh, but it's hard to, it's hard to really figure that out unless you kind of unbound yourself from measuring the known quantities of your, your business. So how do you figure it out? I mean, how do you go about that? The um, art of decision-making is, is and the science of it's got a lot of components. I mean, there's a lot of, and there's a lot of weird things, you know, before we um, uh, started recording, I was talking to Grant and I was saying, talking about the way that people look at discounts. So then an example was I'll give, so I will give you $10 off your purchase of, of a, of a $1,000 suit, or I will give you $10 off of a $15 meal. And you have to walk 10 minutes to get either one. Overwhelmingly, people will not choose the, the you know, if the, assuming you're going to buy the suit anyway, right? Mm-hmm. But people won't care because $10 off of a thousand feels like peanuts. But $10 off of $15 seems like a huge discount. Now, theoretically, it's the same effort. It's the same amount of time it takes you to get there, all of it. But the way that the, that the discount is perceived is dramatically different. So it can have a huge impact. I mean, is that, are the, is that emotional data on some level? Or is that because obviously the way that that's presented in the value, like the way I stated it, it's the same amount of time. It's basically a dollar a minute to walk. Yeah, so it, it it is now. When it comes to numbers, I leave that up to I leave that up to the business owners, right? My my job isn't to tell them what to do; it's to it's to give them data to help reinforce their gut, right? So um, we might test. So someone says, "Well, tell me if it should be ten percent or or if it should be ten dollars or one percent." I would say, "Well, well, well, let's just let's just test whether or not a dollar amount or a percentage is more emotionally resonant, and then you make the call on whatever that whatever that whatever that needs to be, right?" Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. How do you, so more examples of like, how do you do what you do then? Tell us more about what it is exactly you do. So you do what, I, what I need uh, to work with anybody is I need uh, to know what they need to know. So every leader or visionary has goals for their organization. I want to increase this, uh, you know, audience, uh, or I want to move into this new segment, or I want to sell more of these, or I want to figure out why. Uh, our sales are going down, or I want to feel. I want to find out why attrition is up. Um, I want to. We've created this new product. No one's buying it. I want to know why they're not buying it. And there's any. And these are generally multivariate questions. Lots of different variables where you can. There's a thousand different answers. And then what we do is, 
we take advantage of a very basic neuroscience principle. And that is, uh, we now know, thanks to um, a neuroscientist out of USC who kind of fell backwards into this, but um, his name's Dr. Antonio Damasio. And he uh, hypothesized correctly that the logic sectors of the brain actually don't participate in decision-making. It's kind of a fascinating idea because we've always believed uh, as this highly evolved species that we use logic, reason, and emotions in a balanced way when we make decisions. When in actuality, you find out we, that we don't. Um, every decision that we make, regardless of its scale and scope, um, runs through the limbic system and is, a, is an emotional decision. doesn't matter if you're buying a car or a pair of shoes or figuring out where to go to lunch. Now, the logic uh, parts of our brain, uh, they're essentially just options processors. They just, they just, uh, they slow your mind down dramatically. There's a, a book that's super boring called um, Thinking Fast and Slow. <laughs> that, that, that try and get that one today. Yeah, it, it, it's a good book. It's just written like a textbook. But it's a, uh, it's a good, it's a good attempt to um, break down in a very complex idea into a very simple idea. But so what we do is we say, all right, well, um, if we know that logic decisions, logic based decisions take a long time, which they do, because it uh, you know, starts processing stuff like we can do this or we can do that or we can do this. What we want to get to is we want to get to what are the, um, what are the emotive things that get your brain to work super quickly? And if we can isolate those using any methodology, then we will. So what we figured out is that, uh, we can use digital surveys to capture timing mechanisms and allow us to measure how fast and how slow people make decisions using something called Likert scales, uh, which is, you don't need to go into, but the idea is that we can figure out how emotionally resonant, um, an idea is to someone. And when we know that we can break it across how, whatever you want to know, uh, like what kind of customer they are, if they're a target, if they're not a target, if they're in market, if they're not quite in market. Um, if they are a customer of a competitor, I mean, essentially whatever you want, we can find out what things are most important to those people. And then we reverse engineer all that information. And then the output essentially is say this to this group of people, use this method, and you have the highest mathematical probability to get a positive outcome. Fact shaping. I like it. It is. It's fact. It's data shaping. I, I use the term fact shaping. Some, I, don't, I think it's possible. I may have actually invented the phrase, or at least in my world I did. But you know, I have this belief that, especially when you're presenting or, or, or selling or doing anything, you know, there's a, an inf literally an infinite amount of ways that you can. And if, for those of you that hear the clicking, I'm actually now keeping physically keeping track of when Watson yawns while I'm talking. Dude, we're talking about neuroscience. So, dude, no I, I'm, I'm pumped up. I'm just I'm giving Matt. Matt has pled. Matt had prior to this episode actually agreed to give an undetermined amount to charity for the click counter. I'm going to need to get more zeros on this thing. It stops at ten thousand. All right. I'm just messing with him. He forgets we're on video now too. So um, fact checked, but fa no fact shaping. But um, with fact shaping, it's like you know you have the facts. I don't want you to lie or tell anything that's not true, but the way that you present the facts and the way that you shape them around the story that you're trying to tell has everything to do with the way that it's received. Um, and I spend a lot of time thinking about it. Like I, I do, especially when it comes to the way that we present our own everything. 
and simplicity rules. Um, it's very easy to understand simple things. Uh, fewer steps are better. And then you talk about emotional stuff. So like, you know, people buy things for a lot of weird reasons. Like, I mean, perceived value, uh, fear of something like, like a coming event ending, like, Hey, the sale's over on Sunday. I got to hurry up and buy it. Um, you know, out of, you know, just specific feeling like they need it, that they want it. They want to impress others, you know, just like, there's just a zillion reasons that people buy stuff. But, um, you know, like kind of like you were saying, the, the way that it's presented has a lot to do with it. What's better, a dollar, $10 off or 1% or something like that. So, and, you know, I'm still curious about, well, Matt, let's ask Matt. Let's ask someone that, um, that just buys everything that he sees. Not true. <laughs> Matt, you are admittedly frugal when it comes to certain things and yeah. some things you're not. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So what, what, like what drives emotional emotional decisions. Yeah. Well, what drives that in that data? Like, I mean, like what, what drives your decision about like, do you have any particular, like when you look at something, do you think, oh, it's 50% off? Cause I'll be honest with you. Like when I, anytime I go to any retail store and they're like the sale ends on Sunday, I'm just like, and I look at it, I'm like, okay, cool. That's right before the new one starts on Monday. So sometimes yeah. I don't give a shit. Like I, it, I worked at Sears. I know that game. Yes. So like, what's your driving factor behind that? Like, I mean, when you make a, a big purchase or a small purchase, is there something that you think about or do you even, is it, do you just make up your mind and that's it? I'm one of those people that sometimes will spend a lot of time researching things. Not sure if I really want something, may do a little window shopping, whatever. But then when I decide I want it, I want it like now, like Amazon prime, bring on the drone, mm -hmm. drop it off in five minutes. So and I think it becomes an emotional thing at that point. You're like, I made the decision and it just becomes, it's an emotional decision of like, I decided I want this thing. So it wasn't just as much based on the price uh, it, for you. It also has a lot to do with when can I have it? Yeah. And you know, and I've decided, I finally decided that I want it. Right. Now I want it now. So, well, you just, whatever you're talking about, fictitious product, right? There's a series of specific value propositions that you can use so that we can figure that out. So, uh, so for instance, the key to the key to strong emotional messaging when it comes when it comes to marketing and sales is segmentation and being able to um, stop, you know, painting a broad stroke over customers and potential customers and really figuring out, are there any consistencies that exist with certain types of customers versus uh, uh, versus other ones? And that is really hard to do. It's it's hard to do. If you're using big data, um, we have a way that we can do it. That's kind of cheating a little bit. So for instance, we can cheating gets it faster. I, I like that. That's a good song. Yeah. Uh, is that really a song? Yeah. yeah it's a Jimmy totally world Jimmy song. World. Yeah. Um, that means we're going to play really, mixtapes. has a really strong rip, it, or riff in that song. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, so like, yeah, what we do kind of is cheating in some ways, but so for instance, we might be able to figure out, um, how fast speed of delivery is uh, to a particular customer and then use all the other value propositions that we say as a company, right? So if you're picking out a pair of shoes, right? The ability, a level of customization, um, what brand it is, uh, I mean, you know, whatever. And then we can figure out, all right, well, which of these things is most emo which of these things are emotionally, uh, are most emotionally resonant relative to each other 
So then we can say, all right, someone that appreciates speed is also going to appreciate this. So when you're segmenting your database, send speed messages to these people, but they also need to contain these messages as well. And if you do that, that you're hitting all those emotional triggers. Okay. So what are, what are some of the strongest emotional triggers that, I mean, are, are there some overwhelmingly winning things? So what we found is that, um, businesses are incredibly unique. Uh, you know, a lot of times they're more unique than they give themselves credit for. So a bank is really unique, even though people will consider banks to be almost commodities at this point, but they're, but, but a lot of businesses like people have their own personality, they have their own language and like people gravitate to those, those institutions for specific reasons. So there's really no, um, easy answer for anyone. You know, if there was somebody would already figured this crap out and they, they'd have scaled it and they'd be bajillionaires, but they're not because every business is different. And because of that, we have to adjust. So every deal we have to do is custom because we can't, we can't just give them a white paper and say, Oh, you're a, you're a software company. Then do these things. We find that the customers of that software company or whoever are all, they have their own nuance thing that they gravitated towards their own emotional thing that this organization's doing that maybe they haven't even figured out a way to uh, communicate or quantify that well. And the hardest part for any business is when they think their customer is everybody. That's, that's the, that's like the sign of death. dude. Yeah. That's a, a few years ago when, right before we started building Gigabook, I thought I was like, wow, and we can, you, anybody can use this. And then I immediately realized I was like, oh shit, anybody could use this. Like what seemed like it was an amazing, it would definitely, everybody was not our customer. Um, now there are some things like, for example, we were talking about shoes before we started. Everybody wears shoes. Like, I mean, I'm sure there's someone somewhere that doesn't wear shoes, but overwhelmingly everyone wears shoes. So if you're a shoe ma manufacturer, technically everyone is your potential client, but they're nowhere close. So like we were talking about your shoes before, there's a select number of people that would buy those for what specific reasons. And then that's like you talk about, emo when I think about emotional purchasing, I think about the word hype, hype, because when things are hyped up, like I'm wearing a pair of Yeezys right now and they were hyped. They're like really expensive if you buy them on the secondary market, but why? But why? Like they're the same exact shoe, but a different color than the same ones I have that weren't, that didn't have as much hype around them. So like, but hype is a powerful thing. I don't know if, it, do you guys actually have a data category for hype? Nope. Because it, it but it's, you know what I'm talking about though. It's yep. real. It's like whatever gets someone like the cabbage patch kid. When we were kids, there was, that was hype. That was a hyped up. Probably one of the first things I remember, like what's something you remember that's had a lot of hype around it? Like the beanie baby. Oh yeah. Or whatever. So Ma like Matt, you have a lot of beanie babies. My mom did for sure. Oh my God. Tons of them. He's actually has a Swiss uh, bank account that has, it's nothing but beanie babies. Beanie baby cryptocurrency. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that probably I, exists. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to say that, but yeah. But you know, so that, I mean that when I think about emotional purchases and like, and I've seen it cause you know, I've seen people like waiting outside of a store to buy sneakers like a day and a half before they open, like, and stuff like that. I mean, is there even any way to wrap your arms around why the fuck people do that? Well, clearly that's not, that's not the logic brain working, right? Yeah. 
And so the idea is being able to, uh, so first of all, when I said businesses are, are unique, it's because their visionaries and their founders are unique, right? So um, there are certain things that are important, Matt, to you. Like, you can't just say Matt in this room, dude. No, this is a yeah, room. Yeah. it's a problem we're solving. So Watson, you're like, yeah. you know, you, <laughs> you figured have, it out. You have your own predispositions, right? You like speed, you like research, you like certain kinds of products, and there are certain things you don't care for. Your organization is going to essentially follow suit. Can't help it, right? Organizations take on the personalities of their founders, even great big companies, right? That are, that have like where the founders aren't there anymore. They still kind of follow a lot of those principles because those are the things that made them successful in the first place. So being able to identify what is it, that thing that, what, what are the nuances of your personality that allow you to um, create a value proposition that's unique in a market? That's kind of step one of figuring out, all right, well, what kind of shoe buyer are we going after, right? Or, because if we want to do limited runs, because Matt likes doing limited, Watson like start, likes doing limited runs. I shoes. don't like to run at all. <laughs> like doing limited walks uh, of shoes. <laughs> limited edition. There you go. There, that's how you shape limited those facts. Edition. Limited edition. Yeah. Yeah. So then you get to figure out like, all right, well, obviously we want to attract like-minded people. And what are the, what are the things about those limited? I can't remember what the hell we called it. Limited edition. What are the things, <laughs> what are the, what are the value propositions around those scare, you know, a scarcity model, right? So how do we shape our messages uh, to target the right people? Because, you know, who, who buys, who buys on our bell curve, right? Those people that sit out front there, those are your early adopters right out in front of the chasm, right? But a shoe will run the entire width of the bell curve of humanity. But figuring out where your company lies in that bell curve is like, if you don't know, then you don't have a good company. Sure. So if, if my company wanted to engage your services and do this, what, what exactly does that process look like? We need to know what you need to know first. But that's the problem is I don't even know what I need to know. Yes, you do. I need to know who's going to buy my product. You have, you have, well, there you go. That's a good one. So we say, uh, we generally say but, for the sake of you could figure that out by, you have, uh, over, you have 1200 customers in 60 different countries. You know, that's a, that you have a, if you can't figure it out based on that, you need more than grant, right? Well, I mean, we've looked at that kind of stuff before and, you know, we start to look at, okay, certain industries, certain size companies, you know, different different uh, firmographic demographic information. They are kind of all over the place for you. But yeah, it's all yeah. over the place. So it, be- it becomes challenging. That's because I firmly believe for the sake of philosophy, that demographics are coincidences. So very rarely would we ever tell somebody you need to go target males between the ages of 30 and 39. That's an irresponsible recommendation. Interesting. Because the, the, a demographic is not a person. Right. People are unique entities. And, and if you if you can only classify them using basic demographics, that's kind of not all that challenging to do. But I mean, if you're trying to get people to go to Monster Jam, I mean, there's a certain demographic more likely to go to Monster Jam than Jojo, whatever her name is. Jojo Siwa. Siwa. Right? She, I mean, there's found, a, she a did find her unicorn once yeah. again. Well, that's fair. But again, is it just a coincidence? Or, or if you said, listen, males between the ages of 39, 30 to 39, let's go to Monster Jam. Right, you have to figure out what the emotional drivers are behind that particular demographic. Crushing yeah. things. They're coincidences. Crushing right. things with monster trucks is a strong driver. But you can figure out what you need. Every good leader, even bad leaders, have things that they want to figure out in order to take the organization to the next level. We call them burning questions. 
Mm-hmm. So you say, um, we have 1200 customers. Um, it's, you know, our goal is to have 2000 in the next five years. And, um, we're, we kind of think we know where they're going to come from, but we're not sure. So here is my Matt Watson's hypothesis. I think we're going to get them from these three industries. And you would tell me, Hey, Arch, which one should, which one of these should I start in? I, I think it's probably this one, but I want to know which of these industries gives me the highest probability of success to go mm-hmm. into. I can come back, give you hard data on the three and say, you should go into this one. And not only that, this is what you should say, but by the way, not the whole industry, just this segment of the industry and use this medium, right? Like you need to white, write white papers for these people. And this is how you need to, but you need to get a partner. You need to get a strategic partner that's going to be able to do this for you. And if you do that, highest probability of success. Everybody needs this. I know. I no, know. Even- no, 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 they don't. They don't? <laughs> it's not for everybody. <laughs> it can't be, or my business will tank. Well, I mean, everybody has these challenges, though. Yeah. I mean, Even with full scale, it's like, who is our exact target customer? I mean, we could go, th- we have some of these burning questions. Sure. Right. Yeah. And some of them, you know, we, well, it's, I don't think it's as much of like answering who could be our customers. I think it's more about who do we want as customers and clients. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we have a pretty wide swath of people that, ha- that we've done business with and the short amount of period that we've been open. And we've realized that certain types of businesses and the stage that they're at are much more likely to grow as accounts. They are, they have lower maintenance. I mean, that's been all like, that's our new client onboarding that we're doing is all around that. Like if you have someone, if you, do you have a product owner, a lead developer, a, you know, a product manager, someone like that on staff, if the answer is no, then th- then your likelihood of success might be a, mu- a lot lower. So um, this is something we kind of do a lot. Uh, now we're starting to do more of. I've uh, done quite a few now. But so for a, from a sales perspective, being able to break down the decision makers in a process, who's the decision maker and who's an influencer, and then being able to uh, break those people into pieces and say, all right, well, so let's say that you have two potential targets, a, I forgot what you said already, Matt, like it developer or a project manager or whatever, a product manager, a lead, a technical lead or a product owner. Okay. So, so those are three. A product owner would just be like an entrepreneur that has an idea that wants to build it. But the point was, is do you have someone that are, that it's going to give feedback to the team that you're, ultimately going to be in charge of. Right. So there's three people. And what would be super nice is if you knew which of those people had sole decision-making authority and to what extent, and then being able to break down, well, yes, but these other two roles are influencers, but only to this extent. And if you use these messages, like these are the things that are most important to your influencers. And these are your most important things to your decision-maker being able to manage linearly that communication chain just now became a mathematical process. Instead of instead of like having to rely on salespeople to kind of re- just read the room and do their best, but arming them before they go in to a meeting and say, all right, the project lead's in the room and uh, an IT manager's in the room. Now say this to the IT manager, and if he changes the subject, come back to it, right? And if the, if the, whatever, I can't remember the other one, the project lead or whatever is in the room, say this to them and you're essentially done, 
Like you should be talking about kids and golf after that or whatever. Right. It, it It's a, again, cheating. Yeah. That's not really cheating. It's kind of cheating. It's, it sounds more efficient if I don't have to talk to someone for two hours. You realize what it is you do here, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why here, here on the podcast or just <laughs> yeah, like why here at full scale or I mean, just in general, because the answer is not always present. And on that, we're going to play mixtape. All right. Because this involves, this is, <laughs> if any data is emotional, it is the answers that come out of mixtape. Oh. What is mixtape? Mixtape. I'm about to explain. And if you want to, if you're listening, you go to mixtapethegame.com. You can purchase the mixtape or you can get the digital version that's coming soon. So I have a card in my hand and I will show it to the camera. Look at that. We're like magicians now. Oh, you're trying to cheat. Oh, come on. All right. So I'm going to read a scenario. We're all going to name a song that would answer this. And then we will vote to see who the winner is. You cannot vote for yourself. What song would your pet say reminds them of you? Wow. That's kind of a tough one, man. I'm going to go with what would the fox say. <laughs> That's a good one, man. And I'm kind of stumped here. And you know what? Grant is either being overly analytical like the neuroscientist that he is, or do you have an answer? It's tough. I got to admit, I'm kind of stumped myself. So um, what song would your pet say reminds them of you? Oh, wow. Do you have an answer? Because I'm honestly stumped. Dude, that's a really hard I know. First of all, coming up with a song about something about yourself. Is I mean, part. I also hard. don't have a pet. Well, that's exceedingly hard for you. <laughs> I know, but I had one. I've had some at one point. Um, I'm going with "Who Let the Dogs Out." That's, who? 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 That's who, a good one. Who let the dogs out? It's hard not to think of a dog-themed song. Yeah, which is like a just a total. Do you bias. know anyone? Do you know any dog? Theme? You cats would work. Do you know a song about fish? <laughs> it's gotta be about me and my relationship with my dog that I love very much. Um, oh, I have a theme. I just can't think of a song. Okay. The theme is like, she's basically a person. So like, let's see a song that's, <laughs> that's, that's basically like, we're uh, going to have the first three person stalemate here. Cause we're um, going to end up voting for Well, he would have the decision making vote. You could, I mean, I don't know what kind of authority you have around here, but you could. I have none. Pick I, another card. I don't, I don't even work here. That's hard. I don't even work here. <laughs> I'm going to have Grant vote for us. Okay, I'm going to vote for who gonna, let the dogs out. You are? Yeah. Well, then he's got, who he can either so just who are you voting for? stalemate. Well, actually, you just solved the stalemate. Oh, you got to vote for me or him. This is an I'm, emotional decision. I'm going to vote for, I'm going to vote, I'm going to vote who let the dogs out as well. All right. Of course he wins. Man, that was a challenging version of mixtape. Yeah, that was brutal. See, and that's why the digital version is going to be better than the card game because it will give you some options. It'll give you some selections. Is this a, is this a, is this a local? I feel like I've yeah. heard of this though. Yeah, is this a Joel Johnson. Yeah, we partnered with him on this. Everyone loves mixtape. Have what? you played drinking? No. Um, I'm not opposed to that, and we may do that later. Should we do that on the show? 
Yeah, we should definitely play this. Drinking like you something. have to take a shot if your song oh, loses. Geez. <laughs> but I'm not a heavy drinker, man. I wouldn't have a heart. Tr- I'm going to be trashed. So let me ask you a question. First off, go to proofpositioning.com. Check out what Grant does um, and the science behind decision making. And I think that book I was talking about earlier was The Art of Clarity. I think that's mm. what it's called. It's a, I, I've read about half of it, but it's got a hundred different scenarios as to why we make decisions and or why not. And that's where I got that example of the uh, that's where I got the example of the the discount. And, you know, there's a lot of different things with that. I mean, typically as a, someone with a sales history, you know, there's a lot of driving factors. I mean, a lot of it is sometimes about savings and value. Um, I mean, you look at so much about modern society, it's driven by a need to look good, feel rich, look skinnier, taller, sexier, whatever. I'm really talking about you, Watson, right now. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, those, those are driving factors. I think this is just a really fascinating science. And, and, you know, here's the thing, Grant, like, is anybody ever actually right about this? Well, I mean, isn't it all somewhat still subjective on some level? I mean, it is purely subjectivity. All all we do is we help to categorize and, um, you know, understand mathematically what the most appropriate uh, form of action is for a business, right? You, You have limited resources and you need to maximize the amount of revenue you generate from the least amount of effort, right? So this is a way to do that, um, and do it confidently. You know, part of the part of the uh, the challenge around this is everybody's got ideas, right? Like, there's no shortage of ideas or things to do. Oh, we should do this or we should do that. Well, if you really don't have a lot of data behind the idea, as far as if, if it's going to be adopted, how long do you drive down that road before you go, okay, dude, we should seriously stop and back up and like reset and find a new path? Uh, there's really no way to know. So it's all gut, and um, in many ways, like understanding uh, and being able to quantify. These, all, all we're really doing is we're quantifying emotional resonance is really what we're doing. Uh, but if you can quantify that, you can really get a good sense of, yeah, 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 I know it's not working right now, but it will. Like, we know it will, and we just got to keep going. And it can what, be confidence are, behind your gut. What are three common mistakes that you see businesses making? Like, what are there, or even what, what are the most overwhelming things that people are doing wrong that they need to fix? Well, one... Um, mostly they're organizational, right? Like, um, the most successful organizations I've seen have really strong and smart, uh, leadership, but they're not humble. So, uh, if you're not humble, that means that you're going to make decisions regardless of input from other people. And that means you lose good people and you ignore data and just say, look, you know, um, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And then it's, and then if that's the case, then it's a, it's a pointless, you know, it's not easy to work with those people because they're going to do whatever they want. Why the hell are we here? Then why did you hire us to come in? If you're just going to do whatever you want to do, regardless. I saw a lot of that when I worked in the music industry, a lot of store owners too, that were building, they were building it with their ego. They're like building a freaking castle. Like I'm just trying to come buy a guitar or piano, man. I don't need it to like, be like a, an art museum when I walk in and some of that stuff. And then times get tough and they run out of cash. Or when you talk about that decision-making, like they're always right. And people are telling them, Hey, no one wants to buy this. And yeah, but I don't, I think that everyone will. Yeah. I think that uh, an, an important lesson for any good leader is to realize that your opinion is the least important. 
unless you plan on personally buying all of the things that you're trying to sell. People build businesses in their own like identity a lot, but you need to take into consideration that people are buying things from you. Absolutely. And if you do that, you're going to, you're going to be much more successful, much faster. Um, so yeah, ego is a, is a big one. Um, so we had organizational what's, what's, what are some others? Um, honestly, one of the, one of the biggest competitors that we have is fear of doing things differently. Um, fear of change is the big one. You know, a lot of times people, they don't want to know they, they, they don't want to know why sales have leveled off or started to go down. Because that means that there are certain things um, that they believe that may not be completely true or that they're going to have to do a bunch of work. And most people generally don't like doing work and people don't like being wrong. So um, those are those are important things. To I, I also saw that and I'm going to use the, my, so I used to work for a musical instrument manufacturer and I saw that the whole entire musical instrument business in the music industry is just literally like flipped over. Like there's no more record contracts. There's no more people don't, you don't go down to the store and buy a CD. Um, the same thing with musical instruments occurred. Like, you know, half of musical instrument retailers gone. They're gone. The Amazon, you know, and different stuff affected that. And so, and I literally in the last couple of years, and it's been 10 or 12 years since I did this, but um, going into stores and, you know, like, hey, you guys need to change. You know, 12 years ago, not everyone had, I mean, the internet was still pretty young. I mean, it, as far as e-commerce went and, you know, say, hey, why don't you have a website? And they're like, oh, I don't need that. I've got the yellow pages. And I'm like, no, you really do. Like, you need to put yourself in places where people are looking for what you're selling, why wouldn't you do it? Oh, I, I just don't need that. We've never had one and we're not going to need one. And you, I, I use the yellow pages. Yeah. So I, therefore yeah, the yellow pages you, are, or that, or that's what has worked for us for the last 15 years. Right. And now something new has come along and I don't want to adopt it. And, you know, just a lot of stubbornness, like the, the, uh, um, insistence of continuing to buy like half page newspaper ads and like, I mean, when was the last time you got a newspaper? What's a newspaper? You know, the Kansas City Star sends me ads all the time, and I actually emailed them the other day and said, stop sending me the grocery ads because I don't look at the grocery ads and coupons either. Yeah. It's like, stop sending me this crap. Yeah, I literally right. said, I'm tired of recycling it. Right. Well, that's the way I feel about my yellow pages. So. Yeah. So. I heard a comedian one time say that, uh, thank you for this portion of the internet that you have printed off for some reason. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's true and that's true, but you know, that fear of change, um, you know, changing in general is tough for anybody. And, you know, I started the, my book balanced me by saying that I'm like, if you're not willing to change and you're not willing to admit that you're probably your own biggest problem, just put this book back. Cause it can't help you. You won't enjoy it. And there's nothing in here for you. You know, just like go put it back. Cause those are the things. And I, and I think with most businesses, well, that fear of change is, is pretty big. And sometimes that fear of change drives like, it, it, I mean, well, it doesn't kind of, it fully drives your personnel decisions, your advertising decisions, your hiring decisions. And then, you know, so many, like I've just seen so many people just, they just like, Hey, you, the ship is headed towards the rocks. And maybe if I cover my eyes, it'll turn itself in a different direction and that Island will disappear. And then it just happens and it, or you get to the point of critical mass where turning it around is just not a, a structural reality. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So and that, that's, that's really the fear of change drives so many things. I mean, that's why people, 
do so many things when you know it's not good for you but you just keep doing it because it's normal or it's convenient Mm -hmm. or it's easy or whatever so uh, anything else on there last one uh i would say probably is that uh price um like they're pricing too high or they're not they're not doing enough to build the value well just price in general so um people think that they need to decrease prices because uh, of XYZ. Sales are down. We need to decrease prices. We need to get more people. And I have never recommended that someone decrease their prices ever because it's not a price issue. It's a value issue. And so being able to figure out what things are motivating to people, that's what drives demand. And that's what drives the ability to charge a higher price. So um, I actually tell people to increase their prices uh, quite a bit. Uh, and if I have to tell someone to decrease their price, that means that they're being traded up on a board downtown. That means they are truly a commodity and you should shut this business down. Hmm. And, and, you know, that's never happened because businesses aren't commodities. I don't care how commoditized you think you are, but you know, I've heard business owners say a lot. Well, uh, if they can get it for $5 cheaper, they'll go down the street. Well, if that's the case, then that means that you haven't given them a reason to shop with you. You have not made an emotional connection with, with the right customer, whoever that right customer is, the customer that is most likely to gravitate towards you. If you th- if they will go down the street, that means there's no way for them to differentiate between you and them. And that means you've failed as a visionary and you need to start creating new value. You need to come up with new messages, new emotionally resonant ideas to get people and become more attractive. That's wrapped right around the fear of change. I mean, like if you talk about like, you have a whole bunch of users, customers, clients, like Netflix went through this a few years ago. Uh, they went up like $5. And I mean, they lost like a significant portion of their subscribers and their stock went down for just a little bit right before it shot up like a whole lot, like a whole lot. But, you know, that's on some levels can be a, a pretty ballsy decision. I mean, especially when it comes to a lot of things. I agree with you. I think discounting is just like a lazy way to solve things. I mean, yeah, you know, you eventually create surplus. Well, if you're selling products, you can easily create surplus. You're just creating a future sales problem because either you, you condition your buyers to expect that discount every time and then they won't buy without it or they have their own issue with stuff sitting around. Well, man, we went, we got right through our time here. I'm trying to quantify the data from this. Um, Matt, I'm sorry we didn't gamify this episode. You did not earn any points today. Oh, I did get a little emotional. You did about yeah, what? About the data. Which part? Um, find. I'm going to find myself asking why. About the data on your counter from my yawning. Ah, well, I noticed that uh, you didn't do it after the second one. I'm going to. Well, the first one didn't count. It wasn't a yawn. I opened my mouth. Okay, I'll reset this. I'll All go right. ahead and set this back. Or oh, three thousand three hundred and thirty-three. I'm turning it the wrong way. So yeah, but well, anyway, if you guys, uh, if you. Whether you like the show or not, reach down and hit that fifth star. Come on. Give us some data. Please. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Grant, are you on, you're on the social medias? I'm on proof positioning. I'm on the social medias. Uh, Give yourself a shout out or tell everyone you can go to proofpositioning.com. That's a good place to start. Yeah. We do have a Facebook page. There you go. You can find us on the gram at at startup hustle podcast or not.com. That's not even a real thing. So, oh my God, I'm going to go run up the data numbers on an afternoon nap. See you guys next time. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.